When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf. How about a cold one on the patio during a nice spring day? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You're listening to DraftKings Network. This is the GM Shuffle. I mean, the guy just changed the dynamics of the game. He really was deeper than just carrying the football. He was an activist. He was a spokesman. Jim Brown's a man of his own conviction. You're listening to the GM Shuffle with Michael Lombardi, presented by DraftKings and VSIN. Here is Femi Abebefe. Welcome to another edition of the GM Shuffle with Michael Lombardi, presented by DraftKings and Visa. And I'm your host, Femi Abebefe. As always, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Our producer, Elliot Bowman, with us on the ones and twos. Michael, we are now heavily into the month of May, Memorial Day weekend, coming up later on mm-hmm. this weekend. And uh, it's, it's an interesting time in the NFL, and we'll obviously delve into all of that. But we would be remiss if we did not start this podcast talking about the life of pro football hall of famer jim brown passed away late last week at the age of 87 you have been writing many many books about football you wrote football done right which comes out later on this fall in september and i know there's a chapter in there about jim brown and there's a section in there about one of the greatest football players we ever saw there i never saw him obviously being younger and stuff i saw youtube highlights and highlights on on tv so uh, how will you remember jim brown uh, the, the the running back for the cleveland browns who passed away just last week well i i think a lot of it starts with uh being in cleveland in 87 uh, my first year at the Browns, well, there was no Jim Brown. There wasn't really a mention of Jim Brown. And then when Belichick came in in 91, we took a turn to re- understanding the past history of the team. And he really spent a lot of time bringing Jim Brown back into the organization because Belichick is a big believer in creating an environment about the past. Uh, I think we lose sight of this a little bit in today's team building. And I'm going to talk about it later as we go forward with this. But part of this is understanding your past allows you to to handle your present. I wrote about this in the Daily Coach today. But I, I think that's what Belichick... So when we reached out to Jim and you met him and then you sat and had time and talked to him, he was a very, very... Uh, interesting man who was deeper than just football and then as i wrote this book and studied his career and went back and revisited the 57 draft 
uh, to understand how this incredible, talented man could be the sixth pick overall. And then you look at the the five guys that were picked in front of him. Two of them were halfbacks, uh, Paul Horning being the, the, the number one pick in that draft. Uh, that It's interesting, Femi. That draft was done. Four rounds were done in November of 57 at the Bellevue Stratford or the Walt Waldorf. And then the next 26 were done in January at the Bellevue. So they kind of split it up. And, you know, after Brown went, Jim Parker, another Hall of Famer, went after. So there was a lot of Hall of Famers in that draft in every single round. Sonny Jurgensen went in the fourth round. Uh, you, know, you go Henry Jordan went in the fifth round. I mean, there were guys going la- later that obviously made. But Jim... You know, when I saw that he was a fullback, I went and really spent a lot of time trying to understand, you know, why they called him a fullback and he wasn't a running back. And, you know, it was just incredible, incredible to watch him play pro football against guys that, you know, he was probably bigger than. Started 118 games, didn't miss a game. Scored 106 touchdowns in 118 games. Averaged over five yards a carry. I mean, you know, when you stand next to him, you're just an, and this is before he was older, you're just in all of, of his physical specimen in terms of as it relates to the game that he played. Yeah, and I, we were talking about it on the Lombardi line this past week, and he said that he was bigger than some of the offensive linemen who were blocking for him. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, no like that's just pretty, that's, that's remarkable to even like, Think about that in today's game where every lineman is bigger than every single running back, but just like he was ahead of his time at the position because we always kind of have the debates of would this player translate to this era? Would this player translate to that era? Jim Brown would translate to any era in terms of playing the position there because, I mean, he was big, he was strong, he was fast and and obviously ahead of his time and dominant. I mean, I think the, some of the stats that kind of stood out to me when I saw people kind of remembering Jim Brown and putting out some of the factoids was that he's the only non-quarterback to win MVP three times. He also led the league in rushing eight of those nine seasons that he played, which still is the record till this day, eight rushing titles. Nobody has ever touched it. I'm not sure anybody will the way that the game is going no. now, but it's pretty remarkable, man, that some of the, the stuff that he's put on the, on the football field on that resume. Well, the first four years of his career, he only played 12 games. There was a 12-game season. And then the next five years, he went 14. And yet he carried the ball 289 times in his last season. You know, and that was off of a 280-carry season the year before, 291 the year before. There was no load management for Jim Brown. You know, never ran out of bounds, always punished the tackler who tried to get to him. So, you know, it was really a, an incredible incredible display and you know this is a world-class lacrosse player so he had incredible eye-hand coordination you know I talk about running backs having above a a nine average in terms of pass completions Jim Brown averaged 9.5 yards per pass attempt I mean think about that you know he was unbelievable even when they weren't throwing the ball to the halfback he averaged nine yards a catch I mean, the guy just changed the dynamics of the game. And, you know, when you sit and talk to him about the game, he was more of a of he he understood the complexity of the game. And he was such a deep thinker. We were on a trip one time. I wrote about this in the book and one of the little excerpts of the book. I tried to put it in a tweet, but I couldn't get it going. I, I tried to do it in a thread. I don't know what the hell happened. My my computer skills are, are waning as I get older. But, you know, we were driving. Belichick and I uh, were in Philadelphia. We were on a recruiting visit, and we went over to Camden, to Camden, and there was a prison right on the Ben Franklin River, right on the, uh, right on the, uh, on the, 
the river right there across the Ben Franklin Bridge, the Delaware River, and mm-hmm. we went in there, and Jim was doing his Amera I Can program, which he put a lot of time and effort in. And so when we walked into the prison, you know, before we walked into prison, he goes to me, Lombardi, because he never said my first name, but I was honored that he actually knew my last name, you know? And he just said, you know, there's, there's a no hostage rule in this prison. So if they take you, it's buyer beware, you know? So I was like, I gulped and said, oh my God. And, you know, he went out and gave a speech. Belichick gave a speech at the prison. We walked out of there. I was like, like you know, no, no big deal. And then 1994, we played in San Diego. We played in Los Angeles and, we went up to, we were at the Super Bowl in Los Angeles and Bill and I and our wives went up to Jim's house and in the home, we walked into the house, he had cribs and bloods and he was negotiating between the two parties to try to bring peace amongst them. So he, he really was deeper than just carrying the football. He was a very, uh, he, he was an activist. We saw that, you yeah. know, Bill Russell, the same thing. And he was, he was a spokesman. I mean, he was really, and, and when Modell tried to strong arm him, Modell didn't really understand who Jim Brown was as a human being. You're not going to strong arm Jim Brown. Jim Brown's a man of his own conviction. Yeah, you mentioned the activist part. There's that iconic photo from the Cleveland summit where it's Jim Brown, Muhammad Ali, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Bill Russell. And it's kind of like talking about social activism and fighting for civil rights. And and like you mentioned, like just more than a football player, he was an activist. He also ended up becoming an actor. It's crazy. Just earlier this past week, I was watching one of my favorite movies, the Spike Lee movie, He Got Game. And Jim Brown is in that movie. And he's also in other movies. You know, it's like uh, any given Sunday, he plays one of the coaches in that movie. So like, he had an actor, an acting career, as well as obviously the football career and as an activist as well. But I mean, he also, I think as human beings, like nobody is perfect. And I think he has a complicated legacy because when you look at Jim Brown and you read his Wikipedia page, there is a section of that Wikipedia page that says arrests and allegations. And there is a lengthy, lengthy history of domestic abuse and goes on decades of, of, of abuse. And it goes to show you that like as humans, obviously nobody's ever perfect. That's not to excuse what he did because those are some serious, serious allegations yeah. and nobody would ever gloss over that. But I think it also adds to how complicated of a, of a human he was, and how complicated his legacy is, and to talk about him now uh, post-life. Right. I don't think you could separate it. You know, one of the things I wrote about for the Daily Coach is this thing called Mbute. It's, it's actually on the gravestone of Jackie Robinson. And basically it says a life is not important except, except in, in the impact it has on other lives. That's on Jackie Robinson's gravestone. And it was the, it was the symbol for the South African team that had gone through racial segregation, the cricket team down there. And the flower that they put on their chest, the portis is what they call it. That was the symbol. And that line was, and Jackie Robinson obviously borrowed that from this African tribe as was their mantra. And so what, what it teaches us is if we don't recognize our past, if we don't understand who we are and under, accept the problems that we've had, as horrible as they are, and certainly domestic violence is, then we can't really put an accurate description on what we do. Ford Motor Company did this incredible video, and I, and I posted it in the thing, about how they tried to really come back to Mbute, where it was they went back to recognize the mistakes that they've made 
in what they were doing in terms of building cars and their culture within their organization. And they brought that back for, for the forefront. I think sometimes when you skim over the, the bad, you paint a picture that's inaccurate and it becomes inauthentic. And I think for Jim Brown, you have to mention the off the field stuff. You have to say how bad it was and you have to understand that, but you also have to understand what he tried to accomplish and it doesn't make any of that right, but I think it paints the entire picture of what we're talking about. Yeah, no, I think that's definitely a fair way to put it because like you said, like you can't mention him and all that stuff and then just gloss over something that happened because like this was not just like a one-off or anything like that. Like there was a number of different incidents that occurred with Jim Brown and and, and women, whether it was his wives or, or other women uh, involved there. So I think definitely mentioning it is part of the complete picture as it is like with any person like it's it doesn't have to be line one and all that and and i think now is like i've kind of reflected on it over the last handful of days it's like yeah like that's something that was a part of his life and we'd be remiss if we didn't bring that up as well there uh i know you wrote about him in the book ultimately how do you think jim brown's legacy will be remembered as a football player and just as a person as a whole well i think i think you have to separate the two right there's certainly there's the bad that you can't really justify But I think what he tried to do in his later life, he tried to bring people together, you know, and he tried to enhance other people's lives, whether it was the Bloods or the Cribs, whether it was, you know, the America ICANN program. He was trying to bridge United. My, My favorite story, my favorite story is we're on the field before the Monday night game against Buffalo. And he comes over to me and says, Lombardi, Tomorrow is going to be a great day for race relations in this country. And I said, why is that, Jim? He said, because they're going to convict O.J. Simpson. It never happened. Yeah, never, never happened. <laughs> that, that's certainly a hell of a story. Uh, we remember the life of Jim Brown here on the GM Shuffle. We'll get to the NFL news and notes from around the league here coming up on the other side. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. I mean, these second-round playoffs have been unreal, and we have the conference finals now on the horizon. Make sure you get all those futures bets in before the value disappears. And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets in. Instantly, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code SHUFFLE. That's code SHUFFLE for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please pay responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21-plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance, see dkng.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. You're listening to the GM Shuffle with Michael Lombardi, presented by DraftKings and VSIN. Here is Femi Abebefe. It's the month of May. 
but there are football players running around on a football field, Michael Lombardi. 20 with teams. Helmets. Have, have with helmets. helmets. Yes. <laughs> wow. Yes. So it's going it's, it's to look numbers. somewhat kind of like it. <laughs> not quite yeah, training jersey camp. jersey numbers too, you not, know? We're not, we're, not, we're not putting the pads on quite yet, but we do have football players in helmets and jerseys. OTAs for 20 teams kicking off this week part of the three phases of OTAs. What is it getting accomplished, Michael, now as the veterans join the rookies out there on the field right now? Well, I, I think what's trying to get accomplished is installation of, of schemes, installation of offense, defense, kicking game, getting the fundamentals, the techniques. I mean, trying to integrate the players to understand that. Part of it, too, is trying to get the rookies in shape, right? Because a lot of these rookies are not in shape, not because they're lazy, or be, but because of the system that we have in place in terms of all the traveling that goes on and the players not understanding how hard it is to work. But for me, I think this is one of the disconnects that has happened in the league over time because of our insistence on hiring, hiring subcontractors as opposed to leaders. If you're a leader of a team and you're the head coach, then basically these times now are, are, are for team building. You, you've got to bring the team together. You have to teach the team what competing is. And, you know, when you break the Latin phrase of the word compete means stringing together, means bringing everybody together. So when we're competing, it isn't just a one. We, we are dealing with a me generation as opposed to a we generation. And I think the challenges that most of these coaches have today as they implement their schemes is how do we t- build a team? H- how, do we, uh, how do we create an environment of belonging? How do we allow the players to be feel comfortable? It used to be you had to prove it to us before you could belong, right? You know, before you're a member of the team, you got to prove you deserve to be a member of the team. Well, that that worked in the 40s, 50s, and 60s. Today's that's not quite the case. So you're going to have to incorporate the players within the sense of belonging, which then allows them to feel as if they have a place and a purpose on the team and, and a role. I think we see this with the Miami Heat. The Miami Heat have purpose. The Miami Heat understands roles. Miami Heat understands we is greater than me. And we could say it's part of their culture, but we know this. Culture is not something that you install like carpet and then leave it alone. Like it has to get worked. And when you're bringing new players in, you know, you, you're, you've been a player before. When you join a new team or you go to a new school, you want to feel what you belong. You want to feel like you're a part of it, right? And unless the coach or the leader in this case is really working on that. You know, building a, uh, you know, creating a team is a spiritual challenge, really, is what it is. And if you define it in two words, it's, you know, the first part of it is spiritual. It means something greater than yourself. And then the second part is emotional, com- com- emotional conversation, the ability to have hard conversations. And I think those are the two things that, that leaders have to do. And I think part of the issue with the NFL today in general, especially because we have play callers and play designers, is the fact that we lose the essence of how do I build this team? How do I unite this? How do I create a sense of belonging into what everything we do? You know, I think that's a great way to put it. I think it can apply to a lot of people because, I mean, most people have jobs. 
you start a new job, like you mentioned, you want to feel like you're a part of the team and you want to feel like, hey, the leadership group, whatever it is, whether it's a direct boss or a general manager, whoever feels like they care about you. They want to bring you into this family. You know, it's like you're not looking for like relatives here, but like you want to feel like you're a part of something because yeah. everybody feels like they're belonging because like as humans, I think we're tribalistic in nature. Like You want to feel like you're a part of a group there. And I kind of it reminds me a little bit of like my days when I was working in local news and we'd have people that are trying to go up to bigger markets. So everyone you're, you're kind of in a ways trying to get yours, quote unquote, like, hey, how can I shine to then get another job here? But you also got to remember that, hey, like you're implementing this as a part of like what's also good for the station, what's good for the team and trying to balance those things out. If you don't have the right leadership, that can go haywire, I feel like. Right. I mean, I think what happens is great leaders understand they have to tell a story. And part of the story is talking about us. And I think when I mentioned Belichick brought Jim Brown back, Belichick was trying to create a story for the Cleveland Browns. He was trying to create an attachment to the past. Why do the Navy SEALs have such a bond amongst themselves? Because they went through an awful lot. But the connection to the past is what gives them strength. You want to be like one of those guys in the past. You want to get the Trident Medal. You want to be part of it. The Marines, Walsh used to say all the time, Marines fight for Marines. The reason they fight for Marines is because the Marines teach the history of Marines. They understand who they are, where they came from. And so I think a little bit of that gets lost. And this is the perfect time to teach it. This is the perfect time for players to come together to belong. You're a team like the Colts with great history who really haven't changed their uniforms. I mean, when I watch the Celtics, you know, you wonder why there's somewhat of a disconnect. Well, when you keep changing your cult, your, your uniforms, you're, you're, you're not adhering to your past. You could say, well, that's old school. Kids like different uniforms. Okay, they do. But part of it is you have to under-recognize the players that came before you. The reason the Michigan-Ohio State game is sold out in the year 2050 is because of the uniforms, not because of the kids are going to play them. They're not even born yet. Mm-hmm. It's because of the history. It's because of who's came before us. And I think part of this is team building. And if you don't put this into place with your team, when it gets hard, like like it's going to, when it gets tough, you, you're not going to be able to rely on one another to pull ourselves through. It's one of the missing things with the 76ers. They have no sense of culture. They have no sense of belonging. They're just a bunch of talented guys who never can play together. They never can play together because there's no connectivity. And if you don't teach connectivity, that's part of what you have to do. It's one of the reasons why Belichick, the media used to think, oh, he doesn't put jersey numbers on players in minicamp because he's just trying to fuck with us. No, 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 no. He could care less about you. Just let me put that out there. All right. He could care (laughs) less what you think. All right. The reason he's trying to do it is create connectivity. He wants them to talk to one another. He wants them to understand what it means to compete, what it means to communicate, right? You know, what it means to be part of something bigger than yourself. I need to rely on you, Femi, to help me through. And in this generation of me, as opposed to we, it's a hard thing to teach. It's interesting. They did a study. Uh, my man, Tim Watson, from down under in, in Australia, uh, uh, my connection to the all, uh, AFL, and, uh, and I got to meet him and spend a lot of time, a former great AFL player down there in Australian rules football. He, he's alerted me to this study that they did in Harvard and to uh, no University of Pennsylvania. So what they did was they took, they took 20, they took, they took all the tweets 
of 400 NBA players. And they analyzed them. And they developed this idea of who has a narcissistic personality. Now, we never talk about narcissism in relates to evaluation. We should, but we never do. So we talk about this narcissistic evaluation, and they come up with this, okay, they tag certain players based on their tweets as narcissists. And then they studied the team, and they saw the team had no connectivity. The team, even though they may have talent, you know, this all-star team, they couldn't connect with one another. They couldn't play together. As Larry Brown said, they played like strangers. This is what we're talking about. And this, to me, is what should be occurring in May and June. Not, hey, we're going to run this against cover three. We're gonna, yeah, we need that too. Don't get me wrong. But we need connectivity. No, I think that's a really good way to put it. So you have the install portion of it. I think as terms of building the culture, looking at, back at the past, I think is really key. But from the mental side, like how do these teams and how do these coaches kind of go about building that connectivity? Is it through like, I don't know, like, do you do like kind of group retreat activities after the OTAs or like, or how, how do you kind of go about doing that as somebody who's never really been inside an NFL building and watched OTAs? Well, you have to have, you have to have a, a kind of a, a, who are we? What do you represent? You know, you know, the FBI, fidelity, bravery, what, the, what their logo stands for. There has to be, who are you? What does being a Patriot player mean? And once you establish that for this year's team, this is what it means. This is who we are. Then that's where we're all going to work together to get to. You know, we're going to be a competitive, mentally tough team, right? That's, it's, not a, it's not a mission statement. It's a way to it's a way to unite everybody to a collective idea. It's not we're going to be the best team in the Pac-12 or we're going to be the, you know, the best red zone team. It has nothing to do with scheme. It has everything to do with who are we? Who are we as a team? What does this organization represent? And this is one of the voids we have in pro football is the owners never give that. The owners never say that. The Steelers do. You know who they are. Their ownership has done that since Art Rooney in 68 when he hired Chuck Knoll. They do that. The 49ers under Bill Walsh did that. They know who they are. And so when you teach that, that creates that sense of bonding. And when you get players that don't want that, then they end up eliminating themselves because the rest of the team kind of handles it. It's what the All Blacks do. You know, the New Zealand rugby team. I mean, that's, that's who they are. Uh, they they are all about what their what their ethos is, and it and they have rituals to describe what they are. One of them is we're going to leave the place cleaner than we found it. Okay, they do that. I don't know I don't know what yours is, but every team has to have it. It's one of the missing links to me. You want to know? It's why the Cowboys can't ever connect because they don't have connectivity from the ownership. They have a guy who talks to the media who says all these things, he collects talent, but there's no connectivity. And so when the game gets tight, they can't rely on it. Yeah, no, he, he, said, he says a lot of stuff to the media <laughs> as his radio hits daily or weekly or whatever he does. Um, but I, that is kind of the difference between the good teams and the great teams, you know, like, cause I feel like like these are in mini camp just to kind of sum it up here. It's like almost like where you're building the edges because there's a lot of talented teams. There's a lot of talented players in the NFL, but the separation is done at this time when you've built that connectivity to then help you out later on down the line in December, January, and hopefully in February in some cases. 
Yeah, and we ignore it as betters, and we ignore it as fans. We just think it's there. We think yeah. it's easy to attain to that. We just look at talent when we know that's yeah. not the case, and that's why we always say, oh, that team was really talented. They underachieved. Well, they didn't have connectivity. Yeah. I think one of the reasons we ignore it is because we don't get to see it. But, you know, even yeah. just because we don't see it doesn't mean that it's not quantifiable or it doesn't matter. We'll talk about uh, one of the greatest of all time on the other side and the, the, the message he's passing to the future generation next year on the GM Show. GM Shuffle with Michael Lombardi, presented by DraftKings and VSIN. Here is Femi Abebefe. Let's talk about the greatest of all time, Tom Brady, <laughs> seven-time Super Bowl champion quarterback, retired now, retired with a capital R. He's not coming back. At least we don't believe he's coming back. They're going to celebrate him week number one when the New England Patriots host the Philadelphia Eagles. But recently, Tom Brady, as a part of a deal with the, with Fanatics, was talking to the rookie quarterbacks, those top four guys who got selected, Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, Anthony Richardson, and Will Levis at the rookie premiere because they do the whole rookie premiere. They do the, the cards and all that stuff, the nice little photos for them to start selling out those rookie trading cards. But Tom Brady had this advice to pass down to these up-and-coming new signal callers who will be entering the league this season. Right, going in the second round, in the end, that's not real that big of a deal. Going first overall, in the end, it's not a big deal. Right, it's great. You got opportunity. You're probably going to be paid more than anyone for a time period. But I was I was drafted, you know, 199. I just outlasted everybody. There's another me back there. Right. So how do I keep my edge on everybody? Thanks. I had to, I had to keep working. I didn't go. Hey, I'm good. Right. I won three Super Bowls. I'm good. Mm. That, God, that, that constant that. drive, man. That, that, that's your boy. That, yeah. <laughs> well, that's competitive stamina. That's what we talk yeah. about all the time. It's having competitive stamina. How do you, how do you survive once you've achieved great success? You know, we're going to have Warren Zanes on, the author of the uh, the new Springsteen book about talking mm-hmm. about the album Nebraska, why Springsteen made Nebraska. And part of the conversation will center on the fact that Springsteen didn't really understand how to handle success. Like, why is this me? I was dirt poor from Freehold. I lived in a shack. You know, how do I handle success? Who am I? You know, what is my identity? And I think a lot of players don't, they see this instant success and just don't analyze again. This whole theme about this podcast today is looking back. And I think what Brady's saying is whitewash where you got drafted. Talk about, you know, what matters now is what you do. What matters now is your actions every single day moving forward. It's a powerful lesson for all of us. You know, even if you just get a job that you've wanted, you know, you become the the, the director of, of recruiting for a college, you know, that this is your moment to now it drives you. How do I become the best at this job? And that's a hard mindset to get into because instinctively we have a sense of comfort that goes through our brains. Just like we have a sense of wanting to belong, we have a sense of comfort. If we don't work on those two things, it can ruin us. I think a term that you always use when you talk about how teams drafting players, you have to kind of de-recruit the players and get them up to speed. Like you almost have to de-recruit yourself as a human. Yeah. Like, okay, like I got to this spot 
I became the first overall pick. Well, now I got to get in line because first overall pick, that means nothing now. I still have to perform and play well because the saying that you always said is not where we draft them. It's how they play. Like you have to almost kind of de-recruit yourself and, and, and talk to yourself and say, Hey, like just cause you've accomplished something doesn't mean you've accomplished everything. And there's still a lot more out there left to be done. Yeah. I think to me, because of this generation, and we're going to show a clip next of Alster Clarkson, Alster Clarkson is a premier co- is a coach of used to be the coach of North Melbourne. He had to take a leave of absence. He's been accused of some incidents that happened at Hawthorne where he won four premierships. And I think it's taken a toll on him. Nothing has been resolved of it. The media, has, he's been under intense scrutiny from the media, but his ability to coach and lead to me, spending time with him. He flew to Las Vegas to meet me in Las Vegas uh, three years ago. I had no idea he was going to do it. He just showed up. He was on a bye week. He flew all the way to Las Vegas. Then he flew with me. Next thing I get on the plane, he flew with me from Las Vegas to Philadelphia. And we spent the entire time talking about leadership and all those things. And then I said goodbye to him at the Marriott at the Philadelphia airport. And the next thing you know, he's knocking at my door at my house at 730 in the morning. You know, and we just spent spent time talking. But I really learned to understand what he was trying to get to. And in this clip, you'll see what he's trying to say is exactly what every coach should say today to their team. I listened to Shane Steichen's uh, talk to the Colts. You know, he had a PowerPoint. He went over things. We're going to play hard. That's great. All good. Nothing about team building. Like, what, what, is going to, what is going to be the Indianapolis Colts identity? That's really what you have to define for the players. You know, mm-hmm. run to the ball. Everybody, we, that's a coaching point. That's not an identity, right? And so what I think when we listen to Clarky, uh, Clark O, they call him, I think we'll hear that. What you guys have got the opportunity to do right now is really, really special. Really, really special. But you'll quickly find out here that we ain't getting involved in this footy club all on the basis it's just like, oh, we're just searching for players that can play the game. No, we're not. No, we're not. We're searching for players that can play in an AFL premiership team. So there'll be some players that will come and go from here and they've come and gone from other places I've been at too. They say, oh, he's capable of playing league footy, yeah. There's a lot of boys capable of playing league footy. There's a lot of them that will get that opportunity. They can play. Can they play at the highest level on the last Saturday in September and be part of a team that holds the silverware at the end of the day? That's what we're searching for. So it's all about sacrificing the me for the we. And the whole of society in all your lives is trying to make it about the individual and we're trying to make it about the group. You want to dig in, you lads, and learn some stuff about footy and say, we're going to do this together. You guys that are sitting down here and all the staff that are sitting on the outside, we are doing this together, the whole lot of us. We are doing this together. And if we do, geez, you look how quickly this can happen. You look how quickly it can happen. Mm. Yeah, that's a really that, I mean that's, that's a, a really good clip, man. Oh, that that that's the talk that you have to give the team. We're, we're, what he's saying is we it had it never went, mentioned the word talent. He never mentioned the word talent in the conversation. He talked about what he's looking for. And you might not have the most talent, but if you're willing to sacrifice, work hard, do the things, your talent gets enhanced. 
and be part of the team. It's really a remarkable thing. And what I think we miss a lot of is we don't coach this because the owners, the general managers of the leagues today have developed this. We are in a subcontractor world. We're going to hire Kellen Moore to call offensive plays. We're going to hire Staley to be the head coach, but he's really the defensive coordinator. There's nothing there about how to set the standard of excellence. I mean, what, what Clarko did there was simply echo what Bill Walsh did in 1979 when he spent time talking to the 49er team the first day. We have a standard that we have to rise. If you can't meet the standard, you're not going to be here. Talent isn't the reason you stay or go. It's your ability to adapt to the standard. I think that's the message that gets lost too often. I feel like that's like a really good just life lesson to have because I think in life you're always taught like when you're, when you're at a young age it's like hey like ha- have personal goals like goal set have things that you want to achieve which I think is healthy like having personal goals I believe is healthy for success but you also need to be able to fit in with a collective you need to be able to fit into a group and fit into a team aspect whether it's at a job or something I mean, very few jobs are just strictly all individual and even in individual sports you're still working with a team we just had the pga championship this past weekend a golfer still has a caddy still has a swing coach still has people that they work with even though they're on the course by themselves or whatever having to make the shots by themselves like i think balancing out the individual goals that you might have within the team goal, I think is one of the trickiest things to do in life, but it's probably the most important thing to do in life. No question. I think, look, after the Warriors got eliminated by the Lakers, right? What did they all say? Well, the fight really hurt us. Draymond Green hitting pool that really, that, that fractured our team because the, (laughs) because the Warriors have always been a we team, not a me team. And they became a me team. And as great of a coach as Kerr is, he couldn't rectify it in season. He couldn't handle it. And we lose sight of that. We lose sight of those things that really affect the team. And how do you build the team? How is team building going to take responsibility? And I think it's something that's not being taught. It's not being discussed enough. I I think, you know, we should have a community of people. Uh, that we dis- that really resides in this area, especially when it comes related to the team, because we could sit there and say they're not very good on paper. Okay, the Miami Heat might not be very good on paper, but they play like a team. And we is always going to beat me. Yeah. And, and I think it's one of the reasons why we don't coach it. I, it's because it's hard, I feel like. You know, it's, it's yeah. not easy to put away and push off your personal uh, wants and needs for the collective. It's like, well, I want to do this and they want to do that. Like I, I, there's that natural friction and disagreement, which I think is healthy having friction and conversation and discourse, but ultimately at the end of the day, still reaching that collective and maybe both sides having to sacrifice a little bit of something for the better collective. Yeah. We see it all the time. You know, we sit there and wonder why this team can't make plays down the stretch or what happens in the fourth quarter. You know, there's a, there's there's got to be a sense of trust. There's got to be a confidence. You know, we see it with the coaches. I mean, look, the reason it's so hard in the NFL is because the coaches are making ridiculously amounts of money, deservingly so, because of the TV mm-hmm. contracts, because of all the wealth yeah. that's come into the NFL. You know, that's added another thing. I want that money. I want to have that opportunity. I, I, I want. You know, mm-hmm. I want that. And we see guys get jobs that even when they're not even from winning programs, you know. They have good PR campaigns. And so it just motivates even more reason to divulge yourself into the eye, certainly. But the ones that are going to win, 
the, the Kansas City wins a championship. You know, those teams that win championship, it's a collection of we, not me. Yeah, I think it's a really great lesson. This has been a really awesome podcast. Like we obviously talk about football and like that's what our pod is. But just in terms of like life lessons that people can go ahead and take away from this. I think this is what makes us a unique podcast of not just X's and O's and football and transactions, but also team building and, and coaching and, and just leadership stuff, which I think is right. something that we this, can all take away is, in all walks of life. Right. So Femi, this is where we are now. This is the, this is yeah. the, the, the time to do this pod is because we are in team building. High school coaches have to do the same thing. You know, mm-hmm. you, whether you're in basketball, football, it doesn't matter. You've got to bond the team. You have to have a sense of belonging to your team. Look at my, my friend Eric Musselman had recruited all these five stars. They're supposed to have the greatest recruiting class. The, the team never belonged. Talent is never going to win unless there's connection. I think that's a great way to end it. We will be back on Thursday. Like Michael mentioned, Warren Zanes, the author of Deliver Me From Nowhere, The Making of Bruce Springsteen's Nebraska. That will be our podcast on Thursday. Cannot wait to chat with him later on this week. It's going to be a lot of fun here. It's a little bit of a different twist on what we do for the pod, but that does it for us. Thank you to you, Michael. Thank you to our producer, Elliot Bowman, with us on the ones and twos. Thank you to DraftKings, and thank you to Vison. We will talk to you guys on Thursday. As always, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review, and tell all your friends about the GM Show.